Welcome to The Thought Locker, a podcast that enables personal growth. Hi everyone, it's Andrew Duncan here. Thank you so much for tuning in. In this episode, you get to hear... Edwin Rakanui, a good friend of mine, and I, as we uh, talk through the process of buying investment property, and we're actually, uh, what you hear is a wide-ranging conversation that we have while actually visiting a, a real property. So it's a cool way to learn about the process. You'll see how we look at properties, what made us pick that one to go and see. But we also talk through the whole just strategy of, of investing. Um, we talk through a lot of common uh, questions about the process so it's it's full of really practical useful information uh, the audio quality there's a lot of background noise at the start uh, we're literally driving to the to the house uh, so please bear with it the audio quality does get a lot better as we stop the car and and uh, discuss the property while parked outside so please enjoy and uh, if you've got any feedback on this episode we'd love to hear you can email property at andrewduncan.co.nz. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover in future, don't hesitate to sing out. Thanks so much. And we're live. And we're live. <laughs> so right, right now we're driving to a place in Swainson Street, in Nine uh, Cool. Which took my interest. So this, this is something that, you know, piqued my interest as a possible investment property. Hundreds of properties that are on the market. Why did this one stick out? Um, particularly, it's it's two properties side by side yep. on one title. So, you know, I think a, a multi-income situation mitigates some of the risk of owning an investment property. One property is empty; you're still getting rent from the other side. And does that look more favourable from a lender's perspective as well, from a bank's perspective? You're usually going to get a better return, so you know there's more. It's better for like the income servicing ability in terms of um, the bank's numbers. So yeah, it should absolutely help. It also means that there's a, a heightened chance that the property will not only cover its costs but potentially be what they call positive cash flow, where it, there's a little bit of surplus money each week left over after paying the mortgage, paying the maintenance, paying the property manager, paying the insurance, paying the rates. Um, that comes back to you, which is absolutely a good thing and something I think worth aiming for for any place that you're that you're buying the other things that attracted me to this place were uh it's on 914 square meters of land mm. always great uh most property investors will say it's the, it's the land that goes up in value not the not the dwelling itself so uh it's always nice to have a, a decent component of land nice um, whether you, it's subdividable or not is that obviously that would be a bonus but it's just nice to have some uh, some land that you that you own yeah uh, it's also built in, looks like it's built in the 50s or 60s, and, you know, weatherboard, pretty simple design, like, we've talked about this before, but it looks like it's built to withstand a nuclear holocaust, like, it's, <laughs> that's what you want, simple design, built to last 100 years, you know, they don't make them like they used to, uh, you know, it might be a, a sort of, uh, some of those older weatherboard homes can get a bit cold, but there are things you can do to mitigate that, double glazing, and insulation, heat mm-hmm. pumps, and somewhat uh, improve them but uh, the simpler the design the less that can go wrong 
uh, it's been there for 50, 60 years, it's probably going to be there for another 50, 60 years if you look after it. So it's a, just a tried and tested kind of style of property. Yep. This one too looks like it's got a bit of potential, so it's just got that look like it hasn't been done up in a fairly long time. So it's got kind of instant cosmetic improvement potential. Nice. So it looks solid. I've only seen the photos so far, but it looks like a kind of solid place where you could go and spruce up the kitchen or the bathroom or do some interior paintwork and, and add some value pretty quickly, which is uh, it's nice to get have a property where you can get some, some quick wins yep. uh, and, and add your own stamp on it pretty fast. And the aesthetic is usually a place where you can find those quick wins as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's also... I haven't looked at a lot of properties in Nainai. It's, uh, it's in the central part of... Um, right between sort of Lower Hut and Upper Hut in, in Wellington. Uh, I like it because it's... Uh, I always like properties where you're a little bit away from the water, whether it's a river or the sea. Yep. I think that's a, just a smart long-term play. Um, I think, you know, with, with sea, sea levels rising, insurance is only going to get more and more expensive over time. So mitigate that risk by being slightly away from any water. Um, so there's that aspect. And anything in a, you know... In a family type area that's anywhere near schools is probably going to be a pretty um, smart approach, um, smart sort of situation to get into if you can. And what um, what are they seeking, and what do you think they're likely to uh, to get, just based on based on the very limited information that you've had at hand so far? Yeah, so what you'll find with multi-income properties is it can be frustrating because there's not a lot of info online. Like, I don't think this one even had a, a home's estimate because it's two flats and it kind of throws their algorithms out when it looks like it's two properties on one title. That's homes.co.nz. That's right. So this one, the only bit of data that I have is that it came up on a search for properties in Wellington under 600000 on Trade Me. Mm-hmm. And when I do that search, I'm casting it really wide to cover all areas but I'm also putting keywords in like multiple flats or multiple income yep. or home and income yep. things like that to try and filter it down to just the kind of investment suitable properties yep. um, now so I'm, I guess I'm hoping it'll be somewhere under 600,000 but I have no idea I'll, I'll definitely try and find that out when we when we get to the property uh, and I think we'll try and do part two of this recording maybe once we've had a look inside yeah for sure report back on what we can find out do you know if there were other similar type properties in the surrounding area? Is it an area renowned for having multiple income properties? Don't know it well enough, and that's one of the really important, uh, you know, aspects of, of just getting in the car and going if you can. Like even mm. if you think it's not the perfect property for you, just get there and get the experience under your belt of going and seeing it, getting a feel for it, seeing what the area is like. Yeah, and it's just bits of information which you'll be able to uh, keep. So even if this doesn't turn into anything, you've still been exposed to this area that I haven't looked at before um, you've seen what the area is like you can, you've can you got a point of reference if you're looking at future properties yeah. that might come up so uh, the, the one thing I'll say about the online search ranges is really just take that with a grain of salt Like you, this property might come up under 600,000 but you might get there and the agent wants 750, you know like agents can be quite creative with those, where they position those search ranges <laughs> uh, so uh always take that with a grain of salt. And is that a deliberate ploy by agents or are they just kind of stumbling into those situations or why, why does that unfold? Why does that happen? So when they, when an agent lists a property online, they'll in the back end they'll set a kind of a, uh, a, a price which is kind of, you know, 
um, an estimated value and, and that controls whether it comes up in your searches or not you know so they might say expected sale price on the back end is 550 uh, now as you can imagine the agent's job is to maximize the amount of viewings that the property gets so they're going to try and position that price as low as possible without taking the piss to increase the number of people coming to view the property if it looks like good value online if it looks like a bargain they'll get more visitors there so no one can see what that price is so it's hard to convince the agent of being you know, a little bit uh, cheeky with what they're putting on, but uh, they they kind of walk this fine line yep. um, of you know not wanting to um, falsely advertise it and and wanting to get the right buyers there with the right budget, but yep. also knowing that if if they think the property is worth five to six hundred thousand, they're going to put that search value range at five hundred thousand because they want to open it up to as many people as possible, even say four fifty to kind of capture. Potentially, I've definitely seen that happen a lot. Uh, because the hope for the agent is that even if someone uh, who has a max budget of 500 comes along to the property, that they'll see it, maybe they'll fall in love with it, maybe they'll go back to the bank and find a bit more money if they need to. Yeah. And generally, once people like a property, they will um, make the effort uh, often they, to, to get there, to, get, yeah. to do what they can to get it. And then once they start investing that time and that mental energy, then they become invested in it, don't they? So they're That's more right. emotionally attached to it as well. So they're more likely to take those extra steps. Exactly. Yeah. You've just got to get them in the door if you're if you're the agent. That's your whole that's your whole focus. Mm. Uh, there's a there's a marketing saying, quote it low and watch it go. Quote it low and watch it go. So the area that we're driving past now, which seems to be quite close to where we're going, has got a number of new builds in it. Quite a few new builds there, actually. Yeah, it's a cool sign. I haven't seen that before, but lots of cool townhouses. We're driving through the kind of middle of 90 now yep. uh, on 90 Road. And there's lots of building going on. For the record, I'm glad I didn't bring a jacket now that it started to rain, but we'll worry about that next time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's heaps of building going on here. Oh, jeez, there is too. So that's all. That's a good sign, right? Where people are investing in the area, there's those are likely to increase the value of the properties around this area. I would suggest, given what else I can see. Yeah, you'll you'll see the value of an area lift up as you get more. Uh, owner occupiers moving in I mean that's what's happened to Newlands where we live over time because these are state houses right some of them would be and some of them would be ex-state houses and, and you can see the ones where someone's going to naturally take in some care whether that's the owner or a, whether that's a landlord or owner occupier where they've you know they've painted the fence and they're painting the house and mowing yep. the lawns regularly and just starting to, to take some pay some attention to it yeah but it's, it looks like a really sort of mixed area a mix of you know ex-state houses and uh, more modern type properties and owner occupiers and rentals, which is which is perfect. Now, how much attention or gravitas do you give to uh, areas that are in low socioeconomic areas, or compared to maybe areas that have high levels of crime that you know of? What 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 weight do you give that information? There's very most well, every single area is full of really really wonderful beautiful people. Every single area has a couple of bad apples, you know, whether it's the flasher suburb in town or the or the what might be considered the more up and coming suburbs. So I really don't mind and in fact uh, I think you get better value for money. You're not paying for a, a school zone if you're in a um, what might be called a lower socioeconomic area. And in my opinion I think you if you present the place right and, and 
hire a good property manager, you're just as likely to have a good tenant experience as you are with anything anywhere else. There are there are problem tenants everywhere you own property. It's not exclusive to one part of town. So, is it this house here? No, but we're almost there. I think. Yeah, it's up here. There we go. Should we go and take a look and then we'll report back? Yeah, sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. Cool, so we've just looked at one or two. One or two, done. Uh, inconveniently, I have to wait half an hour to go see the other one, but that's just... That's what it is. That's real estate life. First thoughts? Yeah, cool. Uh, so, obviously pretty well sort of looked after. Really, you know, like old-fashioned inside and ready for modernization but solid yeah. um, stainless steel bench tops in the kitchen just love that sort of stuff just beautiful timber floors everything looks pretty straight and even outside's been painted fairly recently it's got a modern roof on it uh, so ticks a lot of boxes in that regard no big sort of red flags um, typical of old sort of 50s 60s built places lots of of underutilized space mm. <laughs> lots of you know like really big laundry areas and uh kind of empty porch areas which potentially could be reconfigured to create a bit more space we this is a one bedroom property that we looked at but uh one of two flats side by side but we found a uh, you know a couple of spots there which could be better configured to maybe even add a second bedroom yeah I agree agree i thought there was poor use of space the configuration didn't feel right when i was walking through it didn't have a natural flow to it which is completely what you expect for that that type and that um that year uh and agree i, I couldn't quite see the two bedrooms that you saw at first until you kind of walked me through it but then once the penny dropped absolutely having those two bedrooms so uh reconfiguring the lounge area into two separate bedrooms one of them wouldn't uh, have uh, external facing windows but that's fine because we've had a look outside it's got a tin roof corrugated iron so there's it makes installing a skylight that much simpler right um, but yeah I didn't I didn't feel like the house had uh, it uses sorry it didn't use its space as well as what it could have um, had that, had that nice mix of being uh, in a state where you could rent it out straight away, but you could also really improve it with a look of paint around a few spots. So mm. it, it had potential. You could do these things we're talking about, but it, you could just rent it out straight away too. Absolutely. So it's kind of that best of both worlds, which is um, not always that that easy to find. Yeah, no, I agree. As is, it's ready to be to be tenanted out now. I felt like looking at it and it would be great to understand what the difference in rental would look like from a two bedroom compared to one bedroom in this area you know with the rental appraisal because it didn't look like it needed it needed a lot to convert it into a two bedroom yeah um and you know like we talked about the use of space with the two wardrobes coming off the the main hallway deleting those and having those kind of the back end of those exposed and utilizing that space for one of the bedrooms seemed like a good way forward to, to make that happen really easily. It didn't feel like it was, um, there was a lot involved. Yeah. Mm. None the wiser in terms of price expectations. You know, the, the agent was um, pretty cagey about any sort of advice there, uh, was, had the approach of kind of 
talking the property up in terms of how hard it was to buy in this area and how great prices, you know, how greater prices they were getting for other places and how everything was going for way over their RV and stuff, which is a, a perfectly fine approach. You know, personally, I think it's, you probably might risk putting a few people off potentially mm. taking that sort of angle, but, but uh, whatever works for them, that's cool. Yeah. Um, to her credit, I guess she's trying to boost up the price as much as she can from her, it. from her client's perspective, right? So I can get, I get why she did it, but yeah, I think agree with you. I hadn't really thought about it like that. That it could be seen as a deterrent for some people as well. Hmm. So I think it's going to be a, a case this one where like it's being sold by tenders, so there's no price indication or price guide. Uh, I think it's a, a case where you really would have to look at what sort of return you'd be happy to get. So we're going to have to take what we think the property might rent for. Um, get a yearly rent to buy that into the potential purchase price and try and figure out, you know, okay, if I want a 7% return, what sort of price am I prepared to pay to get that? Mm. Uh, and decide whether there's much leeway in that in your mind, depending on how much potential you see there, whether it needs work straight away, working all these factors to it. Mm. Um, and, and the return that you're happy with is very much an individual thing. And um, it's all about balancing that with, you know, you, there's no point making 10 offers that never have a chance of getting anywhere. You know, you've got to be realistic. But it's it's nice to have a sort of a, an idea of what sort of return you want to get so that you can, you can um, it just helps you come up with a price in the first place. Otherwise, you just, it's, it's really hard to figure out where to pitch it. Mm. I think having access to the second property will really help fill in what feels like quite a big knowledge gap for me because it's really hard to understand what the true potential of the place could look like based on just seeing half the picture and I wonder if the other half because the, the other side's the two bedroom side right. isn't it That's right. um, so whether that looked like two two bedrooms or who knows we walk in there and, and suddenly we can see a three bedroom opportunity there what that you know the the difference that that might make on the thought process I would imagine would be significant um, spot on like the the agent was saying that the two bedroom property could conceivably rent out for 450 per week in its current state um Whereas the one bedroom property that we saw, the rental appraisal was two ninety to three thirty. Mm. So, you know, if you say it's three hundred for that one and four fifty for the two bedroom one, that's seven fifty a week. But if you can make them both four fifty mm. by making the one bedroom flat a two bedroom flat, then suddenly you're talking nine hundred a week. That's quite a big difference, and and that changes what you can afford to pay for the place. Yeah, as long as it's not too expensive to make that make that change. Yeah. Yeah, excited to see the next one. Yeah, absolutely. It will be. One thing that I was going to mention, uh, so, you know, going through the process that we're going through with Invercargill and with Invercargill, how we've currently got uh, one of several properties that is now vacant, I think that an appeal of having multi-income uh, stream type properties is that it does, you do afford yourself that opportunity to continue drawing in an income from one, working on the other, to get it up to that that standard that you're or the expectations that you might have of it and then you know I would imagine from a bank's perspective that's quite attractive too because there's still money coming in you know you, you haven't completely turned the tap off getting them getting that one up to speed tenanting that out and then when the opportunity presents itself on the original one going through the process again so it feels like it's hugely beneficial to have that kind of uh, option available to you because it's multi-income stream than it would be if it was one property with six bedrooms or whatever. Yeah. And it's so much cheaper and easier to renovate a 70 square meter one or two bedroom property 
than it is to renovate a four bedroom, hundred and fifty square meter home. Mm. So just as a as a rental property owner, you know, you, the the cost is so much less to to do a quick refresh on a little flat if you've got one or two or three in a block, um, or two or three in a block, I should say. It's it's much less of a hurdle to get over. You know, you can you can go a long way with ten grand. You know, if it's a if it's a smaller type property, mm. so that is a real benefit to that too. It's not such a big not such a big cake to to eat when uh, when the time comes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, wondering whether we edit this next bit out or has a natural fit in this conversation is the work that we're doing down at Invercargill is to see where where you actually need to spend money, uh, where you can spend money, and where you know you're going to spend money eventually. For example, with the healthy homes um, criteria. So we we have some windows down in one of the properties that um, don't they won't meet the healthy home standards, but we don't need to change them right now. In fact, we don't even need to get them. Um, the, I think we need to get them retrofitted with um, double glaze so they can open and close as well. Uh, and if we have a tenant go in now between, and they stay on between now and 2024, then we don't actually have to make the change until that period of time, right? until that 2024. But if somebody goes in, then they come out, and then the next person comes in, uh, then we have to we have to make that, we have to action that. Yep. So I guess bringing that back around to this property is just identifying what are those things that, yes, you know you're going to need to spend money on it sooner or later, that's fine. Um, and what are those things like with Invercargill, the carpet and a lick of paint, like those instantaneously would create or generate uh, an increase in the capital or in, in your equity in the property and the, the value of the property and also uh, the rental that you're likely to draw in as well. It's so important to have a good property manager and I think to do your sums based on um, you know factoring in the cost of getting it managed even if you live in the area even if you live down the road it's, it's so valuable to have that person's knowledge to draw on you know what what am I going to need to have done in the next four years one yep. year two years yeah uh, should we get that done now what are other people paying for these sort of changes yeah what um, you know what are the solutions to this that I that I don't know of that you know of that you've seen other people use? Yeah. Um, just just the fact that they have tradies on their books who are prepared to do this stuff, and when you find a good property manager, they are absolutely gold. So um, for me, that's that's a real must-have. Yeah, and I would second that as well. In fact, yesterday or the day before, I had a conversation with our property manager, and not for the first time, I praise her on on her work. The, the way that she conducts herself is amazing. She's firm but fair. She also goes outside of the box, and I know she's squeezing every drop out of it too because she did a thing like um, she actually took the curtains down from the property and she took them home and washed them. Wow. <laughs> So that's that's a service, man. That is service, you know. And she had people come in and they went to clean the floors um, or clean the, the property, and she had them remove the shower rail because it was rusty and scrub it down with stilo pads, so that we didn't have to replace the shower rail. And I thought, okay, this is a person that's who a word. absolutely, absolutely, the, the value of that kind of property manager is just very hard to, very hard to capture. Yeah. Mm. Two thirty, right. Sounds like we're going to head back in. Do you want to squeeze up and have a look? And I'll, you know, I'll stay with him and I'll run up and have a look after you. Yeah, sounds good, man. Easy. 
And we're back. So we've just both had an opportunity to have a look at the second of two flats. Uh, what are your thoughts? Cool. The second one was definitely bigger. It's currently two bedrooms, you know, funky lime green walls, um, original kitchen from the, I guess, the 50s or 60s, and same with the bathroom. Currently tenanted. Um, really great space that is again being underutilized and just a whole heap of potential so yeah a real opportunity I think there to, to improve it at some stage like it's tenanted at the moment and apparently that, that tenant is happy to stay on and even pay a bit more rent so you know you could you could save changing that one for down the track you, mm. you work on the one that's empty now yeah um, change the one that uh, change the one that's occupied down the track once it, uh, if it becomes empty yeah um, just remembered looking at the second one there's some instant stuff you'd have to do like you'd probably need to put a heat pump in each one just to create some some quality heating there for the tenants so that's an instant kind of expense to keep into account right so that's a that's a uh, that's going to become a requirement that there's a single what is the phrase that's used like a single source of heating or you have to have a source, source you have to have a, a, a supplied source of heating that can get the lounge the living area to at least 18 degrees is my understanding. I might be um, paraphrasing it there. I probably am. Um, see a crane truck, hey, buddy. Um, but you need a basically a, something. Doesn't have to be a heat pump, but it has to be something which can warm that living area up to, to eighteen degrees. And if that was a compliant and functional fireplace, then would that be sufficient, or you'd still need to go beyond that? Because the second one had a fireplace as well. It, it did, which kind of looks semi-boarded up in a weird way. Yeah. But uh, no, I believe it can be a fireplace. Um, it was an open fireplace in the first bit, and I, my understanding is that's okay as long as you get it checked out. And and, uh, and as, I think you have to ask the tenant's permission. One of our properties has an open fireplace, and I believe it was... You had to ask the, the tenant's permission to have that there and kind of get them to, you know, if, see if they're open to, to using that. Hmm. Uh, otherwise, I think you potentially might need to board it up or lock it off if they're worried that it's a... Maybe if they've got young kids or yeah. you know, some sort of health and safety hazard. Yeah, and I've heard some pros and cons from the landlord's perspective as well as to why you would want to delete it or board it up, uh, board up a fireplace. Um but I, I haven't got a strong opinion either way, I guess. I would imagine uh, from a cost benefit, uh, sorry, from a cost perspective, not having to put in a heat pump would be great, but uh, I wonder what... Uh, I guess I, I feel like when you have a heat pump, it's, it sets a tone for the property as well. Uh, rather, So it's not just a functional piece of equipment. I feel like there's a, there's a style of living that comes with having a heat pump. Maybe I've overstated it, but... Having, having a fireplace is a pain in the ass. Yeah. From, a per, from a person who lives with a fireplace as a main source of heating, it's a pain in the ass. Uh, and so the, the the thought of going in and just pushing a button and then that your place is heated up and you're you're in your living space straight away, compared to having to order firewood, make kindling, bring the firewood inside, make a fire, you know, get it going, and all the rest, and then it's really hard to regulate the temperature. Like that's a lot of hassle to get the same thing that you would have got from the button on the heat pump. And, and it's, it can be a smart move from an investor's point of view. You know, if you put in a heat pump, that might get you a little bit more in rent each week. A tenant would probably happily pay another 5 or $10 a week mm. if there's a heat pump there. I would. Yeah. I would too, absolutely. So if that's $10 a week, that's $520 a year. 
you're kind of getting almost 20% on your money if the heat pump costs you, say, three grand to put in. So it's not a terrible investment by any means, mm. as long as you've got the, the, the money to put it in to start with. Yeah. I found with the second of the two that a, a lick of paint, a single tone lick of paint would do that wonders yeah. uh, for starters. I didn't see the same opportunities for um, significant growth as I did in the first one. And I, by that I mean, with the first one, after you quite rightly pointed out, you could create two bedrooms there, you could add two bedrooms there. I didn't see that same kind of opportunity with the second property. I couldn't see creating a third bedroom, as an example. Um, although I did see wasted space. You know, the, the laundry was bigger, much bigger than it needed to be. The, the kitchen area was long and narrow, and I felt like the the further away you got from the, the, the golden triangle, you know, with the cooking, the fridge, the sink, it was just a dead space down there as well. It was poorly used. It's interesting. I, I did see a situation where you can take the current lounge and turn it into two bedrooms and take the bigger of the bedrooms and make that the lounge. Nice. Uh, what was interesting is that biggest bedroom is actually the closest one to the kitchen, so you'd want to sort of open up the wall so you'd go through the kitchen into the dining room and then around the corner into the lounge. Yes. And you could take the current lounge, which one of these old, one of the problems with these older houses is they put the lounge at the opposite end of, opposite end of the house from the kitchen, mm. which is not how most families and, and most people live these days. Uh, so if you could reconfigure that, which I think there was either potential there just to make it a, a nicer two-bedroom or to, to make it a three-bedroom property. Mm. Whether it's worth making it, a three-bedroom property rather than a two-bedroom one would be something you'd want to discuss with the property manager yeah. to get an idea of whether that's actually something that's going to get you a better rent. And a lot of situations it will, but not always. You know, if your target market is um, a retired couple or a retired person on their own or, you know, a young couple, then it might not matter anyway. But if it's in a family area, then having that extra bedroom might really help. And that feels like you, have, you start having to take into consideration bigger picture stuff as well so if you were going to commit your cash flow into into making that third bedroom into trying to generate that extra income where is what is the opportunity cost from having done that than say having that assigned somewhere allocated somewhere else such a good point you always got to look at your opportunity costs and and know that while spending this money might get you a good return on that money it's then tied into that property mm. uh, for a good period of time unless you refinance it uh, so it's one of the things with property you can get a really good return on improvements um, that'll get you a better rent uh, but the, the money's set in there you know it's you don't it doesn't disappear it becomes equity it becomes you know increases the value of the property but it's a liquid it's not like a term deposit you can't just go and get that money back out anytime mm. you need it so you, you want to be slightly careful how much you commit to making changes like that if you're planning to hold on to the property yeah, yeah. One one good question is whether you would look at that property as a buy and hold. You know, you buy it, do whatever changes you want, put a tenant in and keep it, or whether you would look at it as a kind of a flip project. You know, like a, a make those cosmetic changes, do it up, and then sell it off. Mm. I mean, my gut response to that would be, without having had a look at any of the hard numbers, was it felt more like a buy and hold. Uh, and the reason I feel that is because although I see potential for it to be, uh, you know, some quick wins there, I feel like those quick wins you, you could you could 
leverage off those quick wins and keep all the benefit by retaining that property and another kind of property that would be um, one they would flick on I felt like the characteristics of that would be there would be more uh, that you could pull out of it more that you could um, increase, the, increase the value very quickly and a significant amount as well and that, that to me would be a more a better suited type of property to buy and flick on yeah I agree I agree cool. absolutely I think summed that up really really well so in terms of looking at values uh, so we got some verbal rental assessments from the agent who's going to email those through but uh, she was saying uh, the, the property manager that she had consulted with had suggested that the one bedroom flat might get 290 to 330 a week and that the two bedroom flat could be up to 450 per week currently 300 per week so if you took the 450 per week plus call it 300 for the first flat you're talking 750 a week mm-hmm. um, in terms of total rent so one way to look at what the property might be worth to you is to say okay 750 over the course of a year so 750 times 52 is $39,000 now if you decide okay I'll be happy with a 7% return you divide that number by 0.07 and you end up with 557000 so as a kind of indicative price that's the price you'd have to buy it at $557,000 for that property to be getting a 7% yield as it is right now mm-hmm. based on the rental appraisals. Mm-hmm. Rental appraisals you have to take with a little bit of a grain of salt, but they're usually reasonably good I mean, and, it's, and it's all you've got to go on. Now, in light of how interest rates are so low, right at this point in time, 7% might be... Uh, a little bit too optimistic from a buyer's point of view like there might be other people that are prepared to buy it at a 6.5% yield if you were happy with a 6.5% yield the purchase price is going to be 600000 somewhere there or thereabouts so it's good to play around with those numbers and just to get a feel for what the value might look like at a certain return mm-hmm. uh, and, and what the correct you know the correct percentage to base it on it, it all comes down to you and your kind of what you feel is fair yeah. and, and, and really comes down to looking at lots of properties in one area so that you can say okay well that one sold for a 6.5% yield this one's slightly rougher so I probably want a better return or mm. you know that one sold for a 7.5% yield but it was a pile of you know it needed 100 grand spent on it straight away so you might take this one for a, a lower return because it's more rentable as it is so you factor these sort of things in but it really comes down to experience and, and knowing the, the market in that particular area and, and what what returns other investors are happy with. Because you don't want to overpay for it, but you also want to make sure that you're not just getting swept up in the idea of, oh, yeah, I've got an investment property. It's still got to stack up for you. Um, and I, So I think it's important to have a criteria. Like when you go out looking at properties, you've got to look at it and say, okay, well, like my ideal goal here is to get a 7% yield. And you might look around and, and see, okay, that's not actually possible. Is a 6.5% yield going to cut it? Okay, mm-hmm. I'll change my criteria and I'll, you know, I'll start looking again with that kind of um, framework in mind. Yeah. I feel like when you start going through that kind of process as well, is that you you take that into consideration, 7% or whatever that might look like, but you're also understanding what is the role of that piece going to play in your bigger puzzle. 
So it might it might look like seven percent, it might look like six, it might look like eight, whatever that is. But when you fold that property up into the rest of your property portfolio, the rest of your portfolio as a whole, understanding what is what is the contribution that you're expecting that thing to make. Uh, so that would help you determine is seven the right number actually six might be the right number because you understand that with that that's fine that's getting six because it's contributing to your other pieces in a, in a, a meaningful way that's going to allow you to get what you're actually after and, and exactly right and maybe it's got this potential that hey when the tenants move out I'll be able to add another bedroom to it fairly easily and it'll become this seven and a half percent yielding property at some point in the next five years so I don't mind buying it a 6% return now because yeah. it's got this potential that's yeah. just waiting to be uh, utilised when the time is right yeah, yeah totally agree mm. so speaking of uh, pieces of a whole of a bigger puzzle so thinking about the property that we went to have a look at in Churton Park uh, what when you when you if you were to put those two up against each other what are some of your thoughts about where your money and where your where your energy is best spent? Maybe talk us through the, the property at Chin Park first, um, and then yeah, what your thinking is. So last week we looked at a two-bedroom cross-lease townhouse in Chin Park. So this is a single-level property, roughly maybe 80, 90 square meters, uh, livable but pretty tired, and you know, smell of cigarettes inside. You know, needed a good aesthetic renovation. Um, just one dwelling so you know not a multi-income property like this one we just looked at uh, so I was looking at that more from the point of view of could you buy it spend some money spend some well targeted money improving it and then look to sell it again pretty quickly hoping to make a little bit of money on the way through uh, so kind of a, a property trade um, now that had a lot of appeal because it had Again, these sort of quick wins that you could go for that for whatever reason the current owner didn't want to pursue. Uh, and so there's, there's opportunity there. But that's the sort of place where you're not going to get, like the, the return on that one in Churton Park, you know, you might buy it for, um, you know, say, mid 500s or high 500s. It's probably only going to rent for 550 a week. So you, it's not going to be anywhere near the return that this property in Nino is going to get. So it's it's the kind of one that I prefer multi-income properties if I'm going to hold them because you want that extra cash flow each week. If I can spend the same amount of money, we're talking pretty similar values for the Churner Park house and for this one that we just looked at, but if one of them is going to give you another 300 bucks a week in rent, then absolutely why not go for the one where you're going to get a better return. It's still in the greater Wellington sort of area. It's still in a, um, it's not like you're buying in um, a really small town to get that better return. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the, the Chitton Park one would be more of a situation where you were trying to um, do it up, move on, and maybe you could put a tenant in if you had to, if the market changed or something went wrong, but you're, you're trying to keep that for sort of three to six months. Yeah, done up and move on. So it feels like they're quite different purposes to each of those properties. Yes, yes. Uh, so the, the Chitton Park one might work quite well if you've got a little bit of time on your hands right now. Uh, and you can sort of project manage a bit of a renovation if you're confident that there's value to be added there quite quickly and easily and, and potentially you've got skills around doing that or if you think the property is just not very well marketed at this point in time you know maybe it's uh, it's not the case with the Chinna Park one in this case but uh, oftentimes you'll see properties where there aren't many photos online or it's really hard to get a visit there or uh, it's it's you know the, the, the advert is two lines on the internet and doesn't tell you much mm. uh, 
like there are opportunities around that sort of space too. Yeah. So I felt with this one, you know, and I'm quite happy to claim the um, the newbie status in this field in this space is that the when we met with the agent, she was very forthcoming. I felt she was as forthcoming as she could be with information that was going to be useful, which was great. Having a look at the listing. I felt like the listing doesn't work anywhere near as hard enough as it should be, uh, you know. And, and we kind of mentioned about understanding what the rental current rental amounts were. So those weren't mentioned anywhere on uh, in either the listing online or the the handout, the brochure that she had on site. And so I think things like that they are unnecessarily um, challenging. Um, they don't, uh, you know. There's a there's a lot of opportunity there for somebody to make those add a little bit more extra information and it just provides that much more fuller picture from a prospective buyer's perspective. Particularly when you're coming into the game from a position like myself, you don't know all those things, you might not even know to ask. So I think having that information just become be more forthcoming, more accessible and easy to understand, that real estate agent would benefit from that. Like I think with that property that we just looked at, if you... It wouldn't really be worthwhile doing this, but if you just took that property, bought it, and then put it on the market straight away, but the second time around you had rental appraisals in the adverts, you had uh, a LIM report ready to go, you had a mm. risk board ready yep. to go, you had all the information set up to make it as, as easy as possible for a buyer to offer, I think you're gonna add 5% to the value just literally doing that. Wow. And, and you probably wouldn't buy it and sell it just to, because you know, you're gonna pay an agent two or 3% to sell it anyway, but, it's worth factoring that in when you're looking at a property like the Turner Park one. If you are thinking about doing a trade, that just going from a sort of average marketing effort to a to an exceptional one, that could be even five or ten percent. That's think, a significant amount. Absolutely. I mean, to me, it's almost worth. I'm slightly biased because I have worked in property for a long time, but that's the, the, the difference a good agent can make is almost worth as much as as a, a, a small renovation. Small aesthetic changes by all means. Mm. So uh, don't underestimate. Like, uh, it's frustrating when that information is not there. But I also see it as a bit of an opportunity. Like, okay, they're they're not making this super easy on anybody else, so that reduces the amount of competition you're going to have as a as a buyer too. Yes, yes. It's a yeah. You're absolutely right. There is a um, it's a double edged sword because from my perspective, yes, it's a pain in the butt trying to gather that information, but that energy that I've had to expend, if somebody else doesn't want to expend that same amount of energy, then they'll walk away from it. So having those little hurdles, yes, if I'm prepared, if I can, you know, if we can see the potential there, and then we go through the process of actually gathering that information, if somebody else would have been deterred by that, then that's one less person you're competing against, right? Yeah. Mm. The difference that it can make to the final sale price, if you have five people trying to buy a house rather than two. It, it, that can be tens of thousands of dollars. Mm. So if you, every time you uh, your actions end up removing someone from the race, you know you can greatly affect the the final outcome. So yeah, if you're an owner thinking about selling, make it easy for people. Do whatever you got to do. Yeah, make it simple. So something that triggered that thought as well was when I walked through the second one, I was recording a video and I did a walkthrough with a little bit of commentary as I was doing it. And then I thought, oh, has she actually put a link online to a 3D walkthrough of that property? Now, has she? I'm not sure if she no. had. Right, so that was what I was going to ask her. But I thought, actually, no, I'm not going to say anything about this. That would, I would put that in the same category of give me the information that makes it really easy to understand whether this is going to be worth me pursuing or not. 
especially when you're an investor and you know for both of us we've got families at home you know it's hard enough to get out to take the time to go and look at this property but you've got to go home and you've got to explain to your wife or partner or, or person who's helping you out like hey this is the property this is why I think we should have a look at it these are its pros and cons mm-hmm. and having a, a walkthrough that you can that you can use in that situation is so incredibly valuable and as an investor you, you've got to have buy-in from whoever's part of your circle so uh, again make it easy on people to, to achieve that yeah it's a really easy one I mean the, the, to do a, a virtual walkthrough like you know Google Street View inside the property is like maybe two or three hundred dollars it's, it's really accessible but a lot of uh, you know I'd be surprised if five percent of listings online would have it I wonder if she'd entertain um buying the video that I took today <laughs> I like it <laughs> yeah, make it easy on people but no overall a, a cool property and a cool opportunity I think uh, so it'll be a good buy for someone cool by all means um, perhaps the next time we catch up we could uh, record our thoughts on how we're going to approach it and once we've had a chance to digest it a bit more and uh, you know what the next steps forward might look like, Absolutely. especially when we're, you know, you factor in the Churton Park property as well, which is still live in a sense. Uh, we, so the, from my understanding is the first offer is still live. That's right. Um, and so we're still in that kind of potential backup space. So more to come from that. And I think as that unfolds, it'll be really interesting to see what influence that would have on the thinking towards Nino as well. Great idea, though. Let's see. Yeah, let's next time we can talk about okay let's imagine you're interested in what do you do now what questions do you ask the owner what information do you need if you're going to put in an offer what sort of conditions would you put in your offer how unconditional do you need to be what's the approach there yeah that'd be really useful perfect and quite timely that brings our journey to an end perfect Thank you everyone for listening in. The goal of this podcast is to make it easy for people to find the information they need uh, to make better decisions. That's what it's all about. If you found this information useful, we would really, really appreciate it if you could jump online and give the podcast a review. The easiest way to do that is if you listen to it through Apple Podcasts, you can jump on there and and go to the show itself and give it a review. Um, Or just on Facebook or Google is awesome as well. And I'll put links to those in the show notes. Thank you so much for your help. It would mean a lot to me if you were able to go and give it a review. And uh, thank you so much for listening in.